So with that, I want to jump right into the message. We are in week four of our series on the Holy Spirit entitled The Helper. And if you have missed any of this and you're just showing up, uh, some of this that we talk about today may not make a whole lot of sense. I've given this precursor in every message. Uh, Almost every time that you come to church here, every message will be standalone. However, with this uh, series, they kind of build one on top of another because we're going expository through three chapters in 1 Corinthians. Uh, So I want to encourage you, if there's any confusion that you can catch up uh, online, either by checking us out on Facebook or you can go to our website, jfirstsimba.org, and there's a listen tab there that'll take you to all the different ways that you can listen to the messages. Um, The first week, if you were here, we talked about the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And then we shifted and we started talking the second week about the Holy Spirit in public worship and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit of himself for the common good in the church. We talked about the what and the why two weeks ago. And then last week we read 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 that is sandwiched between these two chapters on the working of the Holy Spirit. And we looked about how Paul in, intended for us to see love as the hinge in which the gifts of the Holy Spirit were to operate. Love is the motivator and it is the qualifier for spiritual gifts because love is eternal. It's the quality of God himself that he intends for us to operate in our spiritual gifts. Now today we're going to move to 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 and this chapter is on the how of the spiritual gifts. So in chapter 12 he talks about the what and then the why. The what is the spiritual gifts. It's the spirit manifesting himself for the common good. The why is because we are the body of Christ and we need to be building one another up. And now he gets to the how. How should spiritual gifts manifest themselves in corporate worship? And he starts out in chapter 14 by telling us the difference between tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And today we're going to primarily be dealing with those three subjects and those three gifts. We're going to be looking at tongues, we're going to be looking at interpretation and prophecy. Now you'll notice that if you've been here for every week, we have not really defined what these gifts are to this point. And why is that? Because the definition of the gifts help us to understand how the gifts should operate as we will see here in a moment. So I'm excited to jump into this message. Now I need to give a disclaimer right off of the beginning. I have said this I think almost every week and I'm going to say it again. We need to acknowledge out of the gate that this is a very tricky message to preach because every single one of us come from a variety of backgrounds when it comes to the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, we grew up in very expressive churches where the the gifts of the Spirit were working properly, and it was a wonderful experience, and it was a heritage. It's the foundation in which our faith was laid. Others of us, rather, grew up in churches where our background was a lot different from a Pentecostal experience. It was a lot more reserved. Perhaps you never saw or even experienced the working of the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, in a church service. Still, there are others who grew up on either extreme of those two sides. Maybe perhaps spiritual gifts were practiced in excess, and you always wondered, well, I don't know what's going on. It almost seems chaotic, and perhaps you were at the other end of the spectrum where you grew up in a church 
church where it was taught and it was preached that the working of the Holy Spirit was, was not of God and perhaps it was even demonic. I had some friends like that growing up. They were, they were wonderful Christians. They loved Jesus with all their heart, but the church that they went to taught and believed that the working of the Holy Spirit was not for today. And if you saw the Holy Spirit moving, it was, it was actually demonic. And so obviously a lot of us come from a variety of different backgrounds, and this doesn't even begin to, dis, uh, to, to cover the, the nuances within our own church heritage of the assembly of God. Even within the assemblies of God, there's a variety of views of, of spiritual gifts and how those gifts are to function within the life of the believer and within the church service. So my challenge as a pastor is to simply read the word and to share it with you the best as I can understand the word. And so that's what I'm going to attempt to do today. Now this then is going to lead us to a problem and it's going to lead us to some friction right out of the gate. If every single one of us have come from different backgrounds and we've all experienced different things or we've all been taught different things or walked through different things, then what do we do when our experiences are, disagree with one another or our understanding of scripture disagrees with one another? Well, there's a few things I think is prudent to keep in mind. Number one is this, is that it's unfruitful to judge someone else's ministry. We're not going to answer to God for how someone else taught or how someone else served Jesus. We are responsible for how we serve Jesus and how we honor God. And it behooves every single one of us. And it's prudent for every single one of us to study the word of God for ourselves, to understand what the scripture says for ourselves. The second thing I think is really important to remember is this, is that God works in spite of us, not because of us. Once you think about that for a second. God is not looking and saying, man, that guy has it all together. That's the one I'm going to use. No, God is working in spite of us. It's in spite of our flaws. It's in spite of our weaknesses that God works through us. That's why the apostle Paul says, I will boast in weakness because in my weakness, he is strong. Now, does that mean that we should not strive to be more Christ-like? Of course not. We need to try to be more Christ-like, but what we need to understand is just because God is working through us doesn't mean we have it all together, right? God works in spite of us, and so even though we might have done something wrong, or we've been in error, or we have a disagreement, we need to understand that God works in spite of all of these things, right? Regardless of our background, the third thing I want you to know is this. The most important thing is that we prayerfully consider the word and that we use love as the hinge as Paul instructed us in chapter number 13. So with that disclaimer in mind, I want to go ahead and I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. We're going to start in verse number one. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we read. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse number one. Here's what the scripture says. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I, I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives a distinct, indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So within yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can an outsider and anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word comes alive. And Holy Spirit, as we're studying you today, we thank you that you've inspired the scripture. And Lord, that you give us understanding. And Lord, I pray today that as we study your word, that we would tap into what it is that you want to do in our own personal lives and how you intend to work through us. And Lord, I pray that we would yield ourselves to you. And Lord, that we would allow you to be the focal point and the center of who we are and how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, obviously, Paul has just said a lot in this passage, and we need to start breaking it down. We just read 19 verses, and Paul's talking about tongues, he's talking about interpretation, and he's talking about prophecy. In the first half of chapter number 14, he's really given us some definitions and he's building a framework that he's going to use for the rest of the chapter and talking about specifics and how the Holy Spirit is going to function inside of a corporate worship. And so today, what we're intending to do in this message is we're intending to understand these three areas. We're intending to understand from Scripture tongues, we're intending to understand interpretation of tongues, and we're intending to understand prophesy. A prophecy, rather. And then in two weeks, when I get back from vacation, we will then dive in and read the rest of this chapter and look at how that functions in corporate and public worship. And so the first thing we need to cover today is the gift of speaking in tongues. There's three gifts that Paul is specifically dealing with. And the first one is speaking in tongues. And we're going to spend a majority of our time this morning trying to understand this because the understanding of tongues help us to understand interpretation and prophecy. One of the most dis distinctive characteristics of the Pentecostal church is that people speak in unknown languages, and we call this speech speaking in other tongues. The spiritual gift was given, and there was a lot of questions that people have had in the church world to this gift. We, we see this manifesting itself very first at the day of Pentecost when the believers and the 120 are baptized in the Holy Spirit. The initial physical evidence of that baptism was them speaking and other tongues. And then there is this expression, there is this manifestation that happens according to chapter 12 inside of corporate 
worship. So what is our understanding of that? What does the scripture have to say? And I want to address some common questions that I get often when it comes to speaking in other tongues. And the first is this. What is speaking in other tongues? What is happening when a person is speaking in tongues? Well, chapter 14, starting verse number one, it says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And that's the key verse right there. For no one understands him, but he utters, utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the Bible is telling us that speaking in tongues is the Holy Spirit praying or praising God through an unknown language of the believer who is speaking. I want you to let that sink in a little bit because that's the key here. The Bible is telling us that speaking in tongues is the Holy Spirit praying to God or praising God through an unknown language of the believer to, who is speaking and is speaking to God. Now, the language is maybe perhaps a known language, as in Acts chapter number 2. When you get home, read Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. The believers are filled, the 120, and they began to speak in a language that they never heard before. And we're going to read here in just a moment that the people outside could hear the 120 praising God in their own native language. 1 Corinthians 13 references that the, the tongues might be of an unknown language or a heavenly language. And here's the big idea uh, that we need to capture. The believer is speaking a language which they had not learned. That's, that's the big takeaway here. And it's given to us, the, the, the utterance is given to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, the purpose of speaking in tongues is one of two things. It is prayer to God or is praise to God. Notice what Paul says very clearly. He says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So what Paul is saying is that when you speak in tongues, you're not, you're not speaking to people, but rather you're speaking to God. You're giving prayer to God or you're giving praise to God. A few verses down, we read that Paul says that he says that he would pray in in his spirit, but he'd also pray in his mind. He will sing praises in his spirit, but he'll also sing praises with his mind. And what Paul is doing is he's establishing a very important theology for us that tongues is speaking to God, either prayer or praise. Tongues is not to people, it is to God. And his statement is consistent with the purpose of tongues that we see in Scripture. I want to read to you every reference in the New Testament that we have of speaking in tongues and what the people understood. Acts chapter number 2, this is what I alluded to ago on the day of Pentecost. In verse number 11, the, the believers have just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in other tongues, and this is what the crowd heard. Verse 11 says, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, they, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So on the day of Pentecost, the outsiders heard them praising God when they were speaking in tongues. Acts chapter number 10, verse number 44, Peter is at Cornelius' house. 
house and Cornelius has just been saved and he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what scripture says. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard them. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And they heard them speaking in tongues and extorting God. Just again, we see in this chapter, and Peter confirms it in chapter number 11, that it was, the, it was the same experience that they had in Acts chapter number 2, and they heard them speaking praises to God. Acts 19, verse number 6, Paul is, is there with the Ephesian 12, and here's what the scripture says. And Paul, when he laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, we see two different gifts in operation. Not only did they speak in tongues, but God also used them in the gift of prophecy. And we're going to see the distinguishment here in just a moment. Romans chapter number 8, starting in verse number 26, it says this, "...likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for when we do not know how to pray as we ought..." But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the scripture is teaching us that there comes times when we don't know what to pray or how to praise, and the Holy Spirit inspires. And he, as the scripture says, intercedes for us according to the will of God. Ephesians chapter number 6 Uh, Starting in verse 6, it says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Again, we see in reference to the working of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. In Jude, verse 30, Jude only has one chapter, so excuse me, verse 20, it says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So what we see is, from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, our main passage is that Paul is saying, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, is either prayer or praise to God. And then when we look and see uh, the backstory, when we look in the book of Acts and we look at the other sources in Scripture, what we see is that this is confirmed. Every single reference to speaking in tongues is given in reference to either prayer to God or praise to God. That's the example that's given to us, and it helps us to understand. Now, some might ask, well, what about Acts chapter number 2? Going back to the day of Pentecost, The 120 are in the upper room, and they are praising God, and they're speaking in other tongues, and the crowd hears them, the crowd forms, and Peter stands up, and he gives a uh, a sermon, if you will, and he quotes Joel chapter number 2. And in that, there is a declaration, Joel declares that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And some have wondered, well, is tongues then prophecy? Is that what's happening? Or does tongues give me the ability to maybe even go be a missionary, because people maybe I'm given a word that other people understand. There is actually a history in the Assemblies of God at the beginning of our founding. If you look back in the early 1900s when people were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues, that a lot of them interpreted that as, as the ability to go be missionaries where they didn't have to learn the language. They could go to a foreign field and they could begin speaking in other tongues and people would understand them. And many people left and got on a boat and sailed across the ocean and just to discover that that's not exactly what happened. And I think this is a good understanding 
to see that these people were very genuine in their faith. They, they loved Jesus. They were trying to serve Jesus, but there was a misunderstanding of what God was trying to do through them. So what is Peter trying to speak then when he's explaining this to the people in Acts chapter number two? It's important to see that Peter's not calling tongues prophecy any more than he would call tongues vision or dreams as is also referenced in Joel chapter number two. What Peter is pointing to at the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of the promise that God would pour out his spirit on all people. And so when they were speaking in tongues, they were, they were fulfilling, they were experiencing the fulfillment of the promise that God was going to be with his people. How many of you are thankful that God is still with us? Amen. Now, why did God choose speaking in tongues? 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse, excuse me, chapter 14, starting in verse number 4, it says this, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Paul makes it very clear that this prayer or praise of tongues is edifying to the believer. Why did God choose tongues? Because it's edifying to you. He says, and here he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Later in this passage, Paul will say, I, will, I pray in tongues more than all of you. He says elsewhere in this passage, he says, I will pray in tongues and I will sing in the spirit. It's a good thing to pray in tongues. Why? Because it's edifying to the believer. It builds up the believer. Well, how does praying in a language that I do not understand edify and build up the believer? How does that work? Well, Romans chapter number eight, I read this verse to you a moment ago, but I want to read it again. Romans 8 verse six, uh, 26 says this, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you did not know what to pray? Or the situation, the burden was so heavy, life was weighing you down so much that you did not even know what to pray. You're like, God, I'm coming to you, but I do not have words. You come and you have life weighing down on you so heavy that you don't even know how to praise and thank God. Sometimes we feel guilty in those moments because we say, God, I don't even have the words. I can't even utter the words. Well, God's dealing with that right here. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. In our weakness, sometimes we come to a place where we're broken. We don't even know what to pray or how to pray. But, you know, the word but is so important whenever you look in the English language. Because it basically says, everything I said before, I'm just telling you, but what I really care about, I'm about to tell you. Everything before doesn't matter. What really matters is about, what, is about is what's coming. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. That doesn't matter, because here's what does matter. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches at the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you don't know how to pray and you don't know how to praise, you don't have the strength because of your weakness, the Holy Spirit wells up inside of you and he intercedes, he prays on your behalf. And not just does he pray on your behalf, but he prays the perfect will of God. There's times we come into different situations and we're saying, God, I desperately need you. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what your will is. When we pray in the spirit and we allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us, we are praying the perfect will of God because the spirit knows the mind of God. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and perfect will of God, builds you up, it edifies you. 
Now, why did God choose the actual speaking of tongues? I, I don't know if I can give you a scriptural reason for that. I can't open up the scripture and say, God chose tongues because, and then read you the verse. And so I'm careful to give you some assumptions. I get this question all the time. So I'm going to give you an assumption. Take it for an assumption. You can throw this away if you don't want to believe in it. But here's what I truly believe. The book of James says that the tongue is the most unyielding member of our whole body, and it gets us in trouble. Husbands, amen. How many of you get in trouble? Right? It happens all the time. He says, no one can tame the tongue. Amen. Have you ever had a problem where you curse a lot and you've ever tried to stop? How many of you understand it's like the hardest habit in the world to break? Amen? Right? It is. Why? Because our tongue is unyielding. And so when this moment when you say, Holy Spirit, I'm yielding to you, you're yielding the very thing that you can't control yourself to the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean that the Holy Spirit takes over you and you have no control of it? Of course not. When we will read next time that the, the, the Spirit is subject to the person, the prophet. He, in other words, you have control. We see this in Scripture. We know we have control of how we pray because Paul's given us instruction. If we had no control, then there would be no reason for Paul to give us instruction and understanding of how to use the gifts. God is speaking through us. Is the gift of tongues different from personal prayer? Or the, length, or the gift of tongues. So when, I, when I'm praying in tongues, is there a difference when I'm at home in my personal devotion or if I'm in private worship at church or if I speak out in public worship? Is the prayer language in Acts 2 different than what Paul's speaking of in Acts, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 14? The assemblies of God in our fundamental faith, our 16 fundamental truths is where you can Google that and find that online. It says basically that speaking in tongues and personal devotion and the gift of tongues is the same in essence, but different in purpose, meaning that the essence is the same. If I have water, the essence of that is H2O. If it's frozen, it's still H2O. The purpose is now different. I drink water. I put ice inside of my, uh, inside of my tea so that it becomes cool. And so that's exactly what the assemblies of God is saying. It's saying it's the same in essence. So the fundamental makeup is the same, but the purpose is different. So when I'm praying or I'm praising in the spirit at home, it's for my building up. But when I'm in church and I speak out, I intend for that to be interpreted so that the body of believers can say, according to verse number 16, amen to the thanksgiving that was being given. You can reference the AG paper for more information on that. I think it's good to understand this by comparing it to other gifts. The gift of faith is the same as saving faith in essence, but different in purpose. Saving faith is me coming to God and saying, God, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you saved me and you set me free and I'm living for you. That's saving faith. Right? But then there's times that God gives the gift of faith to you when perhaps you need to stand and intercede in faith for someone else. There are times when, going back to that reference, where we get down, we don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit can pray through us, but sometimes we need somebody just to have faith in our life to help build us up. Have you ever been there? Supernatural gift of faith. Think of the think of wisdom versus the gift of wisdom. All Christians are called to live in wisdom. Wisdom and personal devotion and the gift of wisdom are the same in essence, but it's different in purpose. Now, when we understand that speaking in tongues is, and we, we grasp that, now we need to move on to what the gift of interpretation is. What is the gift of interpretation? And that's the second gift that we need to discuss. 
We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 that there's the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now in chapter 14, Paul is telling us the purpose of these gifts, and he's following the same kind of format, and we're going to follow the same kind of format. So what is the gift of interpretation? The best definition that I've ever read to answer this is this. The gift of interpretation of tongues is the spirit-empowered ability to translate a public utterance of tongues into a language for the congregation. Meaning interpretation is bringing to light what was said in the utterance of tongues. It's, it's allowing all of us to understand what was said so that we can come into harmony with that prayer or that praise. So allow us to, as verse 16 says, to give an amen to that. I want to read that to you. 1 Corinthians 14, starting verse 13, it says, Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing praises with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So in public worship, the goal is for us to all understand what is being said. And what Paul is saying is that interpretation illuminates that. Paul is teaching that tongues is to God. It's, it's speaking to him. And so it's building up the individual. But when the interpretation of that tongues comes, it brings clarity to the body of the praise or the prayer that the individual has given. And it allows the body to come in agreement with that. George Wood the, was the uh, general superintendent of the Assemblies of God for a long time, and he just retired a few years ago. And he addressed this issue on several occasions. And I want to read a lengthy quote from him. If you're not familiar with Dr. Woods, he's an incredibly intelligent man. I encourage you to look him up. A phenomenal speaker. He, he has done some messages at General Council that will change your life. But he has spoken to, uh, on this issue, and here's what he says. I quote, The interpretation of tongues proceeds from the proper understanding of the function of tongues. And here is where I'm going to get a little bit controversial. Many of the interpretations of tongues that I've heard in my life have really been prophecies. There has been an utterance in tongues, and then someone has spoken and said, I, the Lord God, say unto thee. That is a prophecy, and I believe that the Lord, in his kindness, gives to us spiritual experiences that are valid, even though they may need to be corrected. I believe that there were valid Corinthian experiences going on, but they still needed to be corrected. A critical difference between prophecy and speaking in tongues is that speaking in tongues is addressed to God. It is speaking to God or the pouring out of the soul. It is prayer. It is thanksgiving. It is intercession. It is praise. Therefore, when there is an utterance of tongues, this is actually what is happening. At that moment, someone within the congregation is pouring out their soul to God, praising God, praying to God, supplicating or interceding to God. Therefore, if the tongue is coming in that fashion, we would expect the interpretation will also be in the same faction and formulation. It will be an interpretation which is addressed to God. We should not expect the address to say, I, the Lord God, say unto thee. That's then the Lord speaking to us. That's prophecy. Tongues is an address in this praise or prayer or supplication or intercession to God. Therefore, the interpretation comes. It is interpreting that prayer. I'm surprised that we have not had more interpretations which have actually been incessory on the character of the Lord. 
I would expect that interpretation would come in the form of praise to God or prayers to God or an accession to God or thanksgiving to God, a pouring out of one's soul. Now, as Dr. Woods acknowledged at the beginning of this quote, this is obviously a controversial issue, and I want to humbly address this. Is it possible for tongues and interpretation to be a message to the people in the congregation? This has been a long-held Pentecostal tradition in a lot of different churches. As I said, it depends on what church you grew up, what you were taught. There's a lot of different backgrounds, as we have said, as Dr. Woods acknowledged. However, I don't believe there's a scriptural basis for it. Let me present some evidence to you why I believe that tongues interpretation always needs to be Godward. First, in chapter number 14, Paul is very clear and detailed in the instructions and says several times in this passage that tongues is to God. Therefore, the interpretation would naturally be to God. If, if, if I go and I'm speaking a language that you do not know to charity, and then Zach was going to interpret that language, he wouldn't be speaking to you. He'd be speaking what I said to charity. And that's exactly what we would understand understand from the scripture how Paul is laying it out. And this is why Paul is, is champion prophecy, because in this passage, prophecy is speaking to the body for the building up of the body. Tongues and interpretation can also edify the body. Paul makes that very clear, but it's edifying the body differently from prophecy. It's edifying the body because it allows us to come into unison with prayer and praise, whereas prophecy is giving us a message, is giving us some direction from God. So the second piece of evidence I give you is this, is that we have no examples or scriptural basis of tongues being a message to the people inside of the book of Acts or anywhere else in the New Testament. What we see is, is when God wants to speak to people in the book of Acts, he uses the prophet. And we have several examples of that that we're going to get to here in just a moment. So in worship, what we see and what we see from the pattern is that every time tongues was used in the book of Acts and they knew what was being said, it was Godward. Every time the prophet spoke in the book of Acts, it was manward to an individual or to the congregation. So when there's an utterance of tongues, the interpretation should be the utterance of prayer or praise. Now, some might be asking, well, what if God wants to speak to the people? How does he handle that? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul answers that for us. He's given us the method of communication to the church. As we see from this passage, he uses the gift of prophecy. And that's the third and final gift that we need to cover this morning, which is the gift of prophecy. This gift is incredibly important, and as we see very clearly, Paul is championing the gift of prophecy in the Corinthian church. He is not forbidding speaking in tongues. In fact, in verse 39, as we will read next week, he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. But what Paul is trying to champion is clarity to the people. And he is championing prophecy in this passage. Let me read verse 1 through 5 again. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, but the, and no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies prophesies, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so Paul is champion prophecy. So what is prophecy? Why is Paul giving us so much on prophecy? Prophecy 
is a human report of a divine revelation. That's an adaptation from Wayne Grudem. He said, and it goes on to say this, prophecy is speaking forth merely in human words, something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. If you read verse 30 of this chapter, it shows us that prophecy is a revelation from God. It can be to the congregation or to an individual. And then the individual has a responsibility to deliver this revelation to the intended audience. We have several examples Examples of this, this gift and operation in the book of Acts. There, are, there is a prophet that's mentioned in Acts chapter number 11, Agabus, who gives a prophecy of a great famine that's coming. And then there is another prophecy given in Acts 20 and 21 to Paul. Paul is on a missions journey, and he's about to go to Jerusalem. And the prophet comes to him and says, look, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to suffer when you get there. So we have these examples of how God is working through the prophet to give a very specific revelation in the moment. Now, there are some very important observations we need to make. When we say that prophecy is a revelation from God, we have to understand what it is that we are saying. First, a revelation from God will never contradict the scripture. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit spoke and wrote this, and the Holy Spirit does not get confused. He does not contradict himself. And so if there's ever a quote-unquote prophecy that goes against Scripture, then you know right off the bat that it is false because it will never contradict this. If somebody says, well, i got to add to it. No, we know that's not the case. It doesn't add. Everything is in harmony. So the revelation needs to be in harmony with Scripture. you got to understand that this book was written over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years by multiple uh, writers, and it's all in unison. How is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit was inspiring the writing. And therefore, if somebody comes along 2,000 years later and says, hey, I have a whole another word that comes in contradiction to this, you can write that person off because they're lying. That's plain and simple as that. Second, prophecy is not primarily about telling the future as much as giving a direct word from God. Right? God is trying to deliver a word to an individual for a specific reason. And the third thing we have to understand about prophecy is that there are three elements to prophecy. Now, I know I'm breaking my own rule because I don't like doing one, two, and three, and then giving you another one, two, and three. So please forgive me up for that. But for the sake of clarity, there are three elements to prophecy, as you can see in the book of Acts. You see that there's revelation, there's interpretation, and then there's application. There's revelation, interpretation, application. And here's how that works. God brings the revelation to the person who's to give the gift. Then there's an interpretation. Okay, what does this mean? And then there's an application. How do I apply it? It's kind of like when we preach out of the word. There's a revelation from the word. Then we have to interpret what that means for our life. And then we have to apply it. It's the exact same pattern. We see this in the form of the prophecy that Agabus gave to the believers in Acts chapter number 11 concerning the famine. The revelation was given to him that there was a big famine coming. The believers, the church, interpret that and say, you know what we need to do? We need to, we need to prepare for this famine. We need to save up. That way we can help take care of the poor. We see these same three elements in, uh, in the prophecy about Paul when he was going to go suffer. The revelation was given that Paul was going to be taken into custody. The disciples, the church, interpreted it and they applied it wrong. They said, Paul, you can't leave. You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't, you can't do it. If you go, they're going to throw you in jail. You've got you to avoid it at all costs. What was happening? Were these Christians wrong? No. They just misinterpreted it. They misapplied the situation. 
The Holy Spirit was driving Paul to Jerusalem. He was supposed to go. God wanted him to go. God was just trying to prepare him for what he was about to experience. But when the believers heard it, because of their love and their concern for Paul, they misapplied that. So we have to be very careful to understand those three things are happening. And here's why this is important to understand, because prophecy is not dependent upon human behavior. I've heard it said before that there was, there's been people who would give a prophecy and then it didn't come to pass. And he said, well, it's because so-and-so didn't do what they were supposed to. That's not what we see out of Scripture. God is not dependent upon human behavior for what's going to happen. We can misinterpret. We can be off. That's on us. Because what tends to happen and what has happened sometimes is somebody goes up, I'll go up to Lucas and say, God told me that you're going to get $100,000 next weekend if you give $1,000 in the offering. Okay? Right? And then Lucas gives $1,000, and then he doesn't get the 100000 next week. And I go to him, and I say, well, you're wrong. My prophecy was right, but you didn't do something. You sinned this week. That's why you missed it. You see where this can be used as a weapon? That's why we need to understand that the revelation is never wrong. If I go to Lucas and say, you're getting $100,000 next week, it doesn't matter what he does. God's going to make that happen or not. And if it doesn't happen, that means I was wrong. So we have to be very careful when how we say, thus saith the Lord. Because the Scripture says that we are to test and weigh the word is given. We're going to dive into that in two weeks. Testing prophecy is not a lack of faith. Testing prophecy is faithfulness to the word of God. Because that's what the scripture tells us to do. It's to test and to weigh. True prophecy is always accurate. The problem is, as I said, we can misinterpret or not properly apply the word to our life. We can mess it up. And we just have to understand that we can be at fault sometimes. And that's okay. Please hear me. That's okay when we're in error. Because again, God works in spite of us, not because of us. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know there's been times when I've been reading through my word and I know that I feel like, oh, I got a better understanding of this one point out of scripture and I feel like I might have preached it wrong in the past. I'm sure if you talk to anybody who's been preaching for any amount of time, there's been one or two things that have come across the bow that they're like, man, if I could go back, I would have said that different. We pray that God works in spite of us. You might be sitting there with a friend one time and you're talking to them and you've walked away and you're like, man, I wish I would have said that just a little bit different because I feel like I could help them. God works in spite of us. God works in spite of us. What's prudent and behooves us is just to try to get it right the best we can according to Scripture. Amen? The content of the prophecy is also given in this chapter, and that is to strengthen, encourage, or comfort the church. I want to read that to you again. Let me get back there. In verse number three, it says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation or or comforting. And so whenever there's a prophetic word shared or given, it should be for the strengthening of the body or the individual. It should be for the encouragement of the body or the individual, or it should be for the comforting of the body and the individual. Even a call of repentance can be for their strengthening. But we have to understand that it's always God's word. And it should draw the hearer towards God as we will see in two weeks. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. I know this morning I've probably just shared a boatload of information with you. It's probably over overload. To be honest with you, I got up very early this morning and I just started cutting. I was trying to get as much out so that I didn't overwhelm you as possible. And if I have, I apologize for that. But I want to leave you with a final thought. In verse number one, Paul encourages us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, verse 39, Paul says, seek the higher gifts. Seek the higher gifts. Now, I'm not a, a 
a Greek major by any means, but my understanding of that, when you look into the original language, is that the grammar suggests such that Paul is not encouraging us to seek spiritual gifts, but rather he's commanding us to speak spiritual gifts. The nuance in the original language is not like, hey, if you feel like it, go ahead and do this. Paul's saying, no, you have to do this. Why do you have to do this? You have to do this because spiritual gifts build up the body. Spiritual gifts can change someone's life. I shared with you a few weeks ago how there was a, there was a legitimate, only way it could happen was God given prophetic word in my life at an altar call one time when I was a kid. In that moment, that changed my life. That was a life-altering direction. What if that gentleman had not been obedient to God? I don't know. But what I do know is I'm thankful that he was obedient. And what I would encourage you as a body is this. Let's seek after the spiritual gifts. Let's seek after the spiritual gifts. Let's read it. Let's understand it. Let's Let's see how God wants to flow and how God wants to work. And then let's walk in that. Let's honor God and what he wants to do. Why? Because there's a lot of little Austin Epperson's in the world that need somebody to come alongside of them. And they need a word of wisdom or they need a word of knowledge or they need healing in their body or they need a prophetic word spoken over their life. They need the encouragement. They need to be built up. They need to be comforted in their moments of trials. There are people who need the Holy Spirit touching them on. There's so many different people in this world, you and I will never be able to break the wall that's guarding their heart. But the Holy Spirit can do that in an instant. But he won't do it through somebody who's not willing to yield themselves or be obedient when God calls them. I want to have you stand with me this morning. The goal of spiritual gifts is to build up the body. Here in just a moment, we're going to baptize four more people. Those are four people, like all of us in this room, that had their moment, their encounter with God, where they called on the name of the Lord and God changed their heart. You know why that happened? It happened because the Holy Spirit was working. And most likely, he was working through a person. You know, for me, that person, I've told you many times, I was in third grade, pastor's son, Andrew Pierce, was my classmate, and he invited me to church. In his third grade mind, I don't know if he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and said, invite Austin. I'm not sure if God just worked through it. I'm not, I don't know how it happened. I can't tell you the mechanics of it. But what I do know is that I went to church and ultimately my life was changed because of that, because I encountered God. Church, we need to desire spiritual gifts, not for ourselves, but for God's glory and for the building up of the body. That's why we need spiritual gifts. That's why we need spiritual gifts. Today, we're about to transition here in just a moment to do a baptism. But here's what I want to do in the meantime is those candidates are getting ready for baptism. I want to encourage you just to stop for a moment. And I want to encourage us, let's just get along with the Lord. Let's begin to seek after God and say, God, I want to yield myself to whatever you want to do in me and whatever you want to do through me. I want to lift you up. I want to make you know, God, I want to be used however you want to use me. Give me gifts so I can help somebody.